What's going on, guys? Welcome back to your boy Elroy. This is episode two. I am your host, Josh Prep Agina, and I am here with my co-host, Andre Rodriguez. What's up, everybody? <laughs> Let's get into some news, Andre. A few things happened this week. You know, we're recording, we'll peel back the curtain, we're recording on a Wednesday. Yeah. So, the majority of the MMA news happens between Sunday and Monday because, you know, you got the MMA hour Sunday, and then you got Ariel Hawani on Monday. Yep. And then you got us coming in, (laughs) and we just reiterate what they say. Yep. (laughs) No, but, uh, so the first thing. John Jones passes his post UFC 232 drug test. How much news is this? Is this news? Is it just something that people are trying to say to make him feel better? It's a boost for his confidence, I guess. But as far as his fan base, you know what to expect from John Jones. He's a bit of a wild card, unpredictable. Um, but he got the job done at 232. Hats off to him. Um, but I think something like this shouldn't be crazy news because this is something that should be expected from him. At the end of the day, he's a professional mixed martial artist. Um, he's a champion at that. Uh, one of the longest reigning in the light heavyweight division. Um, and right now, even with this, uh, him passing the drug test, he's got a legacy that he has to build and kind of uh, revamp. So, I'm expecting more of this from him and no more slip-ups, especially if he wants to be in the consideration and the conversation of being the GOAT, not only in the light heavyweight division, but of all time. So, you know, let's hope here on out there's no more mess-ups from him. Yeah, and we're still waiting on his hearing. So, because he's he's technically, you know, they have an idea for him. He's going to fight Anthony Smith in March in Vegas. But they have to wait till, I think, not next week, but the week after. They're going to go in front of the commission. Do you see anything, like, negative happening there? Do you think Vegas is going to turn the tide since UFC pulled out of Vegas for that show? Um, Because it does take a hit to their economy. You know, UFC draws a lot of money to the city. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Vegas, obviously, one of the, probably the biggest um, place where they do big events. But I don't think there will be any hiccups. I think this time around, I think John Jones got it right. Um, the only thing I'm hoping for is that this fight will be competitive. Um, you know, John Jones is John Jones. But hopefully Anthony Smith brings it. Um, but I, I think as far as uh, athletic commissions, um, drug testing, everything, I think this time around he's, he's got it. And I think he won't make any more mistakes. Uh, you know, cro- fingers crossed. <laughs> Honest question, because honestly, I am. Are you tired of this whole like John Jones business? Like, are you sick of hearing about his drug test? Don't you just want to see the guy fight? Yeah, I I miss the John Jones of old. You know, Mr. Johnny Bones, the know? legend killer. The legend killer. <laughs> he was coming in young, and he just he was destroying everybody. With his own game, and you remember him when he was younger. This kid was not even in his early 20s yet, I think. Only nine months of full MMA training and going against tough guys in the light heavyweight division. And, you know, that's kind of the John Jones I miss, the hungry John Jones, the one who, who said it himself, like, I want to be the best and, and be known as the best of all time. So I, I am tired of all this nonsense, you know. I get it. He, he did his dirt. 
It was messed up what he did. But let's move on and let's uh, let's give him a chance to be the the John Jones of old, where he can actually cement his legacy and you know stake that claim. Yeah. So moving on from John Jones, we have another person who is convicted of drug use before, <laughs> Chris Cyborg. So she takes a beating at UFC 232. I honestly can. I had a conversation with my buddy Pash, and that could have been anybody's night the way they were fighting in there. Yeah. yeah. So, but she has one fight left on her contract, and she put out a statement that she's claiming to come back to the UFC. She's it. She says that it's in their hands. So typically, what fighters do is that they wait until their last fight, and then they renegotiate. Yeah. Well, lately, with all the new promotions around, a lot of fighters have been fighting out their contract to see test the waters, as yeah, they say. Yeah. But looks like Chris Cyborg wants to say, um, I still see a lot of fights there for her. I mean, not a lot, but a big money fight in her and Nunes again. Is there... Should she stay? Should she go to Ryzen? Because... I mean, Ryzen's kind of a freak show, but they're going to pay you a lot of money. What should she do? Should she stay? Um, she's got really... I want to say there was, there was nothing that really shut her down as far as being one of the greatest female fighters of all time. Her legacy has not been hinged one bit. She's still Chris Cyborg, dominant. Um, these things happen. You know, she got caught a couple times. She couldn't recover. It is what it is. Um, you know, you see guys like Anderson Silva. He got caught... Um, well throughout his career in submissions he got cracked by Chris Weidman that doesn't really destroy his legacy um, but for Cyborg it's really um, I would say in, in, in her mind the best decision she can make is you know like you said test the waters because it's been working out for a lot of guys I mean look at uh, Demetrius Johnson with that trade between him one championship with Ben Askren you know a lot of people don't know the exact numbers but um, you know Talking seven-figure deals. Seven-figure deals. You're talking maybe even eight because right now Eddie Alvarez is over there. I think he's got an eight-figure contract. I know for a fact that this guy, um, Demetrius, is probably making well over $50 million on that one contract to fight four or five times, which is amazing. You know, th this is a big step for MMA because, you know, there's a lot of fighters in the UFC who are talking about making chump change and having to have second jobs or even third jobs or going on, you know, welfare and stuff like that just so that way they can train full-time. And it sucks because, you know, mixed martial artists, they, these are some of the most athletic athletes in the world. These guys are the real deal. But aside from that, um, you know, we, we still have to talk about one championship because right now they're drawing in a lot of fighters. Um, they're not just from the UFC, but from other major organizations like Bellator, um, like Ryzen. You know, they just had um, Darian Caldwell fight Kyoji Horiguchi. Um, in Ryzen, in, uh, I guess, a cross-promotion super fight, which was amazing. Kyoji won by a guillotine. But it's stuff like that that she has to look into. Um, because I'm pretty sure if she, she considers a place like Ryzen or one championship, she might get a good contract. But if she wants to stay in the UFC, she's still a huge draw. And, and I don't see why it would be a bad idea for the UFC to re-sign her. Um, I just think it, it comes into the terms of money. How much they're willing to pay a superstar like that. Because she still is a superstar. You know, this isn't like, you know, the Ronda Rousey situation. She's still the best. And she's still going to go in there and destroy everybody else. And, you know, if a rematch 
clause is set for in that contract, hopefully she gets to fight Amanda Nunes again. I would like to see that. Yeah, they might as well run it back. I mean, Amanda Nunes, the only fight, the other fight she has is Holly Holm, and Holly Holm has a fight lined up, so. Yeah, exactly. You know, if Amanda, if Amanda Nunes only doing 40-something seconds in there, you figured she has to be booked pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, you should book fighters who do stuff like that because, you know, they're fresh. They're fresh, they're ready to go, they're confident. Um, vibrato's up. You know, he just knocked out Chris Cyborg. Hadn't lost in, oh, I think, seven or eight years. 20-fight win streak. Come on. I mean, if a rematch clause isn't, isn't in there, I mean, at least she has to fight Holly Holm to defend that title. Yeah. Um, but, you know, let's see. Because I, I think uh, one interesting thing that could happen, too, is, you know, like I said before, um, 125 champ Valentina going up fighting Amanda. Just to, just to, to shake the women's divisions up. Because we need fights like that in the UFC, especially now with the addition of ESPN as, you know, one of the main um, television programs for the UFC now. That, that's a big deal. you got to bring big fights. Fights like Conor, fights like Khabib, Tony, the stuff like that got to happen, especially this year. That doesn't... Because as well, that's something that's starting to bother me, and we'll talk about that with the main event for fight night. These champion versus champion fights... They're cool and all, but do you think that's the UFC shooting themselves in the foot? Because, like, if a champion loses, it takes away the value. In a way, yeah. Um, you're looking at, like I was talking about, with, like in the case of John Jones, solidified legacies. Um, some super fights are supposed to happen. Because, you know, one guy's so dominant in one division... That the only other option for him is to go up or go down. And then you let the other guys who maybe lost to him get a shot. Because that's what it's all about. You know, like I said before, Jose Aldo. He might end up being champion if Max Holloway moves up to 155. And if he so happens to beat Brian Ortega. That might have been his division all along. But he ran into guys like Connor and Max. What can you do, you know? But... Some super fights have to happen. The rematch with, you know, uh, Connor and Khabib, that was a big fight. But there's fights like Max Holloway, Connor. They're not super fights as far as champion versus champion. But those are the kind of high profile fights you need. Stuff like Israel Adesanya versus John Jones, which is something we might talk about a little later, hopefully. <laughs> Stuff like that needs to happen because Israel's most likely going to dominate. And, um,. We want to see fights like that where guys can who can easily go up like Anderson Silva did multiple times in his career, going up to two hundred five. He didn't face super elite talent, you know, like James Irvin or Forrest Griffin. Not to say you know Forrest isn't elite because he was at that time, but you know he also fought guys like Daniel Cormier. And if you have guys who can move up like that and move back down, I think some fights like that have to happen. But stuff like John Jones going up to fight Daniel Cormier for the heavyweight belt. No, that's totally unnecessary. When they're still Stipe and, you know, yeah, other guys Stipe, who deserve their shot. Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou, eventually, hopefully, Curtis Blades. And then there's other fights you don't want to see. Like, I, I'm sorry, I was excited about TJ Dillashaw versus Henry Cejudo. But looking at TJ Dillashaw at 135 at that interview, I'm sorry, that was disgusting. Um, there's some fighters who shouldn't be doing stuff like that. I'm sorry, you know. If you can cut the weight, fine. But you look drawn out, and it's almost a week out. He's going to get sick from cutting all that weight because he still has 10 pounds to go. He's never been to 125. He used to fight at 145. 
Fights like that shouldn't happen. If all Henry Sudo had to do was just eat steak and salad and then come in at 135 solid, still looking good, that's the way the fight should have went. Because that's an even bigger draw. Because he's going up in weight to fight guys that are much bigger than him. Not TJ being a big dude going down and never fighting a flyweight again. Because the reality is, even if he wins, he's not going to fight at 125 ever again. I know that for a fact because 125 cut is too much for him. He walks around easily at 155 and 160. So you're, you're giving him an extra 10 pounds that he has to literally kill himself to get down to. He's not fighting at 125 again. And, and even, you know, Cejudo wins. He keeps his belt. The flyweight division's not getting um, revenge. It's not being regenerated. It's, it's gone. I see that happening. It's unfortunate. There's a lot of 125ers who are good. Who earned their right to be in the UFC? But yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know about this fight. I have a really bad feeling now that Dillashaw is going to be depleted as far as his energy. I don't think his athleticism will be there, and I think Cejudo might eke out a decision on him. We will get to that. No, yes, yes, we will. But continuing <laughs> on with the news, we had some really fun fight announcements this week so far. So I'm going to go from like my least exciting fight announcement to you know, the most exciting fight announcements. So I just saw they booked Curtis Blades versus Justin Willis for UFC Nashville. They also booked Anthony Pettis versus Steven Wonderboy Thompson. Yes. In Anthony Pettis' 170 debut. How do you feel about that? 170, that's a... I mean, he's had weight-cutting problems, but he's a small guy. He's not a big guy. He's not um, a big guy at all. Um, I'm sorry. I love Pettis. He's an awesome guy. Great striking arsenal. Good underrated jiu-jitsu. But, uh, you know, other than him being tough as nails, I respect him for taking this fight. But when you look at a guy who's naturally walking around at maybe 180 pounds, who cuts 10 and, and basically doesn't struggle at all like Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, I don't see this fight going very long. I think Pettis gets finished because the size discrepancy will be shown when they weigh in and face off. But I can already tell that Pettis might put up a good fight, but Stephen Thompson is a surgeon in there. He is very accurate. He knows where to hit you. He knows his angles and where he has to be to land significant damage. And I don't think Pettis is going to be able to handle the power of Stephen Thompson. And Stephen Thompson isn't knocking people out with one punch. No, he's head kicking you and putting you in a coma, most likely. So I don't know if he's going to be able to withstand that for at least two rounds. Um, and if it somehow lasts five rounds, then God bless him. Because, you know, you see guys like Jake Ellenberger and just couldn't take those kicks to the head. I don't see how he's going to be able to do it. But um, if he pulls off a victory, that's going to be very interesting. And I think that will open up a lot of fights at 155 as well as in the 170. Pettis does have the reach advantage. He does. But he has two, he's two inches shorter. But his reach is two inches longer. Yeah. The only problem I have just with him is just that height. Because you can have the long arms, but, you know, it It takes a lot to be able to punch a guy up, you know, going up to his face. 
than rather going down to his face or going straight down the pipe. So it's going to be a difference because Steven Thompson stands upright and to the side. He has a jaded stance, karate stance. So, I, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to use, utilize that reach advantage very much because even at the end of the day, you've seen him fight Darren Till, and Darren Till really didn't even touch him mostly in that fight. It was hard. It's hard to hit him. But I am excited for this fight, and um, let's see where Steven Thompson's career goes. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, you got to figure something has to give. He has to get his shot yeah. soon. <laughs> he earned it. There's really nobody who can beat him in that division. And I'm sorry. It's unpopular opinion. As much as I am a huge fan of Darren Till, um, I think that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson got robbed that night. I think that he landed the better of the exchanges. His footwork definitely showed that he had octagon control. And he wasn't even touched. He barely had anything on his face. He was fine. He got cracked once. It happens. That shouldn't have been a unanimous decision victory for Darren Till. So, that's my take on it. And our hometown gets Edson Barbosa versus Justin Gaethje. We're going to this, aren't we? Yes, we are. We're definitely going to this. As soon as the announcement goes, I am buying tickets immediately. What a fight. Justin Gaethje, man, he's he's like the people's champ for me. I was yeah. <laughs> uh, after last week, I was just watching like some of the greatest hits. So I watched him and Eddie. I watched him and um, what was that other fight? He's he's had like three fight of the year contenders. Dustin Warrior. I watched that fight. I watched him versus Michael Johnson. <laughs> and the dude is a beast. He hits so hard, and he could take a punch, and he, he just can. walks through it. <laughs> and he likes to his detriment, but sometimes. Yeah. But I think that's, I think that's why people love him so much as a fighter because he's just, he's like you said, the people's champ. When you got a, a new person who's just tuning in to mixed martial arts for the first time, maybe they've heard about it, but they haven't really checked it out. They don't know much about martial arts. You're going to expect to see some guys who are really good. And, um, you know, you just won't understand what's going on. Maybe he's a jiu-jitsu specialist like Damian Maya. Guys like me, I love watching him fight because this dude is a, he's a machine on the ground. But a lot of people don't appeal to that kind of fighting style unless you have martial arts experience. But a guy like Justin Gaethje who goes in every round, throws it all out there and gives it everything he's got, throws wild hooks, and his leg kicks are some of the most underrated in the game. He destroys guys' legs. But when you're fighting a guy like Edson Barbosa, you can only hope that this fight will last five rounds for the sake of the card. And this, I think, to be honest, might be the best fight of the year. And Gaethje has already put fight of the year contenders up every, almost every single fight. And freaking almost, I think he got knocked out of the night against James Vick. A one-punch <laughs> knockout. Crazy. So he's still relevant in the lightweight division. But this is a tough test for him. Because Edson's going to go in there and try to destroy him. Because he just just destroyed... Um, Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker. And, and with a body shot. With a, a multiple body shots. Just He crumbled. And Dan Hooker is the real deal. Dan Hooker's been training and kickboxing for years on end. but That's that your boy's shows, boy. Yeah, and that just goes to show how, how legit Edson is. Yeah, he had a couple tough... 
um, tough fights against um, Kevin Lee and Khabib. But that doesn't mean that he's not still in the top five elite fighters in the lightweight division. He still is. Crazy knockout power. Super crazy power in his kicks. I can only say that this fight's going to be probably the best on the card. Um, I said five rounds, excuse me. I mean three. But, man, I would hope that fight will go five rounds. <laughs> if that's if they have that on the card, like I could only imagine what's going to be the main event. <laughs> I don't even know what the main event's going to be. But I'm excited. Ten years we've been waiting. The last event that we had was UFC 133, where Rashad Evans fought Phil Davis in a light heavyweight matchup. And it was a good fight. But that's not the card we wanted to see. You know, um, you know, we had other fights that were here too. I think it was uh, I think it was Anderson Silva versus Forrest. Um, that was the card that was before that previously from the you know, in Philly. But man, this 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 card's gonna be different, you know, with ESPN now implemented into the UFC. I can only hope that this card's gonna be the start of something good in Philly. Hopefully we get more events. Yeah, hopefully we get more events. So you brought up Darren Till. <laughs> Jorge Malvidal calls out Darren Till for a fight. Yep. UFC's working on it. Mm-hmm. Darren Till looks past Malvidal, calls out Israel Adesanya, and quote unquote that dick, dick, <laughs> Kobe Covington. Yep. All. Fun fights. Fun fights. But Masvidal. Masvidal hasn't fought in a while. And that's the fight they're working on. What do you think? Because Masvidal's this big star now, allegedly, because he was on like a Mexican reality show or yeah. some type of reality some show. Some sort of a Latin American reality show. Um, he was competitive in there, from what I heard. Um, but hey, if you get other shots in, in different endeavors, go for it. But, uh, you know... This is not going to be an easy fight for Darren Till because they call him game bread for a reason. This guy does not get knocked out. You don't ever see him getting submitted. He went in there against a tough fight. He had a tough fight against Stephen Waterboy Thompson. And honestly, he's been on a vicious streak lately. Um, you know, especially like watching what he did to Donald Cerrone. That was crazy. It was incredible. And he said it himself. Cerrone, he's just not good under pressure. And he exploited that. And I think that's the one good thing that, that Masvidal does. He exploits fighters' weaknesses. Um, and now we recently saw Darren Till's got a good chin, but he got cracked against Woodley. And um, Masvidal, I would say, he may not hit as hard as Woodley, but he hits hard. And he's got vicious boxing. Um, I, I'm constantly watching clips on him, you know, with his head movement. And I try to learn from that, just seeing, you know, his trainer whip around that rope around his face. And he's just, you know, bobbing and weaving and slipping everything. And he's going to do that against Darren Till. So we have to see what Darren Till's going to do against a solid striker like that. You know, because Masvidal's kicking game is underrated as well. Um, but then again, Darren Till's coming off of a loss against the champ. And I'm pretty sure he's going to want to redeem himself and still be solidified as the number one contender. So I'm excited for this fight. I think it's going to be a good fight. I don't know necessarily if it's a main event. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think they're trying to work towards UFC London, so we'll see. Yeah. If uh, it's uh if it's Darren Till then you gotta expect it to probably be, be a main yeah. event out there. And if it is, that's gonna be a really good fight to test him to see if he can go five rounds against a tough opponent. Because Masvidal can go five rounds. 
and and he's gone five rounds against elite guys like Ali Quinta, and he's finished guys like Donald Cerrone. He went three rounds against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, didn't get knocked out, but he put up a good fight. So I don't really see why he can't get big big fights like that, you know. And and if and if this fight works out for Masvidal, I see him getting a shot, maybe a rematch against Wonderboy, or maybe a shot at Ben Askren. Who knows? <laughs> and if Darren Till wins this. I don't see why he shouldn't get a, a shot at Kobe Cub. You know, I want to see Kobe Cub's face get smashed in anyways, so <laughs> what better way? I think everybody wants to see that. Oh, God. I just want to see somebody destroy him. <laughs> and it sounds bad because Kobe Cub is a solid fighter, but, you know, he's, he's just, he's not my cup of tea. I don't, I've, I was, I was uh, brought up in the martial arts system where you don't talk. You know, you let your hands do the talking and it's about honor. And martial arts is, is artistic expression. It's just like painters. You know, they do their thing. That's their form of artistic expression. And martial arts is a form of artistic expression. And I think he's taking that away from martial arts every time he runs his mouth. I, I don't like the trash-talking aspect of MMA. It's needed because you want to sell fights. But gosh, there's, there's just levels. You know, Connor does it, whatever. He's Connor. But this dude, he's, he hasn't really done anything in the welterweight division. A unanimous decision win over Rafael Dos Anjos does not mean you're the GOAT. You're not one of the best in the world, and I think he's afraid to fight T-Wood anyway. So. Yeah, and we all knew that that interim title did not need to be made. Yeah. Like, Tyron Woodley had just fought. Exactly. It wasn't that big of a deal. He wasn't even injured for that long. <laughs> so it's like, come on, man. So sticking with that same division, Woodley, we know he's booked in the title fight against Kamaru Usman, yep. which... I'm starting to look forward to because it's it's getting away from that trash talk and talking more about the fight. Like, I want to see the fight. I want to know what you're going to do in the fight. I don't want to know about this guy's mom or sister. Yeah. So, <laughs> but here's the fun part. Woodley's looking past Kamar Usman. Yep. Looking past Kobe Covington and predicts that he's going to move to 185 by the end of the year. Crazy. Now, he's he's a short, stocky dude. I know that he can add another 15 pounds. Yeah. But is it? can he hang with those guys? Like, is this going to be a good move for him? I think so. I think um, guys like Kelvin Gastelum, he did it. He's got a title shot booked against Robert Whitaker, you know, the Reaper. But gosh, if anybody could do it, it's got to be T-Wood. He's small, but he's got longer arms than Kelvin Gastelum. And Gasoline was sleeping guys at 185. So just imagine what he's going to do. And I think it's a great idea for him because as far as being one of the best in the world, you know, they're not giving, you know, Woodley all the credit he deserves. I think a lot of guys respect him, especially guys like Joe Rogan, Ariel Hawani. He's a legitimate champion. But I think 185 would be a good move. I would love to see him against guys like Jacare, um, you know, against guys like Paulo Costa. Because those are two big dudes who can both grapple and strike. So, you I mean, I, I think he could be a potential title contender. Um, not even, Maybe for Robert, maybe for Jacare, maybe for Gastelum, maybe for Adesanya. But that's, those are fights that I would love to see. Because yeah. this, is, this is something I think will be good for his career. Financially gotta, and as far as his legacy. You got to believe he probably walks around around... 185, 180. He spoke to um he spoke to Michael Bisbing when he was champ and you know they, they talked about a super fight and of course you know Woodley wants those big fights. He's never had a big fight like that. 
you know, the fight with Connor, it just kind of dissolved. The fight with GSP dissolved. But um, he was he was telling Bisbing, you know, backstage that he walks around at about 200. So the fact that he cuts 30 pounds and he I don't think he's ever missed weight, this is going to be easy for him. He's not going to cut any weight. 15 pounds will be nothing. That'll just be him training. So I think he'll come in a healthy and very scary Tyron Woodley with the kind of explosion that he had at 170. To have that at 185, that's going to be interesting to see. So I'm excited for him. Take down defense, I think over 90% right now. One of the highest, if not the highest in M- in uh, the UFC. And knockout power in both hands. I mean, let's see what happens. I'm excited for him. Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Because I don't, I don't like when fighters look past their fights. We I just said that. this with Darren Till. Woodley, you're looking past two of your contenders and predicting that you're going to move up. Like, it's cool that you're confident, but, dude, you could get slept. Yeah. Like, and when you're talking about Kamara Usman, Usman is a legit grappler, and his striking is ever-improving. You know, he's, he's working with, come on, the likes of Henry Hooft. That's one of the most elite kickboxing trainers that you could possibly get. And he's an old-school Dutch kickboxing trainer. So come on, like his striking, of course, is gonna get better every fight, and you saw it. Every guy that he fought so far, he's been dominating. Yeah, he's not, he hasn't been finishing guys, but you know, he, I think he, I believe he knocked out Worley Alvarez with one punch. Uh, don't quote me on that name, but he knocked somebody out with uh, one punch, and you gotta, you got, you have to say that his striking is getting better every fight. So this is not an easy fight for Tyron Woodley in any way, shape, or form. But hopefully, hopefully he comes out on top. I'm not really a huge fan of Kamaru Usman. I think he's another trash talker, and he doesn't really back up what he says. Um, he fought. Um, I watched the fight when he fought Emil Meek, and um, all he really did was just hold Emil Meek down, and then he was talking crap like, "Oh, this was me at 30 percent. Um, imagine me at 100 percent. Come on, man. You better bring 100 percent." against Tyron Woodley because if he destroys you and you're at 100% that's going to say a lot about you know how much time you got to spend in the gym again (laughs) (laughs) we'll see we'll we'll get to them fight predictions later on but there is a fight prediction that I want you to make now me I'm not a boxing fan but you you like all combat sports yes big fight this weekend Pacquiao versus Broner yes one question who do you have uh, is a tough fight. Good counterpuncher. Very good speed. Um, a little undersized for that division. Same as Pacquiao. I feel that fight probably should have been made at 140. But hey, it is what it is. Um, I don't think with his style of being a counterpuncher, there's really no counterpunchers that did well against Pacquiao other than guys like Marquez and Mayweather. But I just don't think he has what it takes to go more than eight rounds with Pacquiao. Pacquiao, even at 40 years old, he recently just turned 40, he's still shredded, he's still ripped, he's still fast, his footwork is still there, and he's got that mindset going in that Broner's dangerous. Broner's hungry. He keeps saying for some reason that he's going to make $100 million. I don't see why. He just lost, out of the last five fights, he lost three, I think, so I don't, I don't really get it. But, um... Pacquiao's going to go in there with the right mindset and the right game plan, and I think he takes him out in eight rounds. Um, his his speed advantage 
and his ability to just pressure guys with that speed and that footwork getting out of the way just in the nick of time, I don't think Broner's going to be able to counter him like that. Um, Broner has power, but I don't think it's going to be enough to, to knock him out. And I don't think he's going to be able to land cleanly because when Pacquiao gets going, he gets going. And you've seen that against a lot of fighters. He just, you know, TKO Lucas Matisse. Lucas Matisse is a power puncher. So I don't really see this fight going well for Broner at all. I like Adrian Broner when he's in the ring. Maybe not so when he's outside of the ring. His antics are a little weird. But um, I think Pacquiao's still the real deal. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the way I see it going. I'm just going to go with Pacquiao because I don't, I don't like Broner. <laughs> I also have no idea about boxing, so I'll leave that to you. <laughs> we will continue to cover the big fights of oh, yeah, boxing, yeah. so I will always ask you for your prediction on the main fights. Makes sense, makes sense. With that being said, we move into predictions for UFC Fight Night 143. Now, we're, not, we're just going to cover the big fights. We also are going to keep track of our predictions. Yes. So we got a big night of fights. Starting off with the prelim card, the first fight, John Lineker versus Corey Sandhagen. Who do you have? Oh, oh man, that's the new fight. Okay. I see it going in favor of Lineker. Vicious power. I think he knocks him out in the first or second round. Not much to say about Lineker. He's just got power in his hands. He's hungry to get back to the top, and I think he sleeps this guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it to Lineker as well. Just the disparity in, um, in their record. 31-8 and eight for Lineker versus 9-1. and one. I think the uh, experience for Lineker is just going to overcome this young kid. Yeah, makes sense. So we move up to this next fight. I don't know the people here, but you knew the one guy. You looked him up earlier. Alonzo Menafield versus... Venetius Morea, seven and zero versus nine and one. Who do you got? Right now, not knowing much about both fighters, what I can say is that Alonzo Menafield looks like a serious top contender. He's very big for the two hundred five division. He's very muscular. He looks like he has a lot of size, um, and he has six fights that come by way of knockout. He's finished every single opponent. Um, and that there, there's something to be said about that. This guy's obviously hungry. Only seven fights getting into the UFC. Um, you know, this guy's going to go in there and try to knock this other guy's head off. Now, as far as Vinicius Marrera, um, this guy, he's a big dude. 6'4". Um, for the division, that's pretty big. You know, he's as big as guys like as Gustafson, Dominic Reyes. He's as big as John Jones. Um, and he looks like a solid contender. Um, the only fight that he lost was against Rafael Celestino. He got knocked out. But other than that, right now he's on a four-fight winning streak. He won all fights by submission. So, I don't know. It's a tough fight for Alonzo because you're looking at a guy who has really, really good grappling. Really good grappling. Eight submission victories. One by KO. Here's another guy who has never went the distance. I think this is going to be a good fight. Potential for fight of the night, I would say so. But as far as a prediction, I'm going to say that I'm going to give it to Marrera by submission. Possibly on the top, maybe by arm triangle choke. 
Um, that's one of the most simple submissions. When you're going against strikers, if you get them down there and they start to get tired, that's the easiest one to go for. Um, but I think he goes for submission probably in the second round and gets it. So that's my prediction for that fight. All right. I'm going to give it to Menafield just because I want to beat you in the prediction game. <laughs> <laughs> so then we move on to women's flyweight. Maybe my favorite women fighter, Dr. Neville, Joanne Calderwood oh, yeah. versus Arian Lipinski. I'm just going to say it. I'm never going to bet against Joanne Calderwood. She looked really good in her last fight. The extra weight is helping her. You know, she doesn't have to cut that weight. She's a lot stronger. We saw a good ground game last time. I'm going with her. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I wouldn't bet against her either. Muay Thai is elite. Um, you know, this other girl, I've seen a couple of her fights. Um, I just don't think she's going to be able to stand in there with her. Um, even if it goes to the ground, I think Joanne's going to be able to get up pretty easily. I don't really see it going that far. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing Joanne, you know, rise back to the occasion in that in that um, flyweight division. Um, this is, I think, this is her first fight at flyweight. Uh, her second. One. Her second. So you know, this is a Joanne Calderwood that's not cutting much weight anymore, and she's. I think she's going to look solid in this fight. Hopefully, this gets her a big fight at 125. Yeah, so I guess you're going to go with her too, right? Yep. All right, and then we're going to move to the main event of the prelims. Alexander the Great Hernandez, an upcoming name, versus the most winningest fighter in UFC history. Yes. The most finishes in UFC history, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Woo! At lightweight, Cerrone's moving back down after fighting at welterweight for a while. Yep. What do you think? I mean, I I always find it really hard to bet against Donald Cerrone, yeah. but I've been hearing a lot about this Alexander Hernandez kid. So, my heart says Cerrone, but him going back down to a weight where he's had trouble cutting down to, I think I'm going to pick Alex Hernandez. <laughs> yeah, I think in this case, for Cerrone... Um, Cerrone's a legend, but there are very few contenders who have looked this good um, and this strong in a long time. This guy is young, and he's built like Matt Hughes. He's built like Sean Shirk. He's incredibly strong, and his last fight against Olivier Aubin Mercier, that's another big lightweight, and he was ragdolling him, throwing him around, and, and let's not forget that Mercier is a black belt in judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he pretty much trains with George St. Pierre almost every single day. It says a lot about how good and how much potential this guy has in the UFC as a top lightweight contender. And he's one of the scariest lightweights I've ever seen because this dude looks like a middleweight in there. Um, he's got solid striking. Now, it's not super polished, but you can tell that he's getting better in the gym. Um, so far, he's kept it on the feet. He has gone to the ground, but he's doing well in the in the lightweight division. And I think that these are the kind of fighters that have always given Donald Cerrone trouble. It's guys who put pressure on him, and it's like George Masvidal said, he's not good under pressure. And I think that's where this fight, unfortunately, will take a turn. Alexander Hernandez is tough as nails. He hasn't been finished from what I've seen. I think that he's just going to be a tough fight for Cerrone because he hasn't been finished. 
Um, and the scary thing about a guy like him is the fact that Cerrone's, you know, when you look at fights against Rafael Dos Anjos, guys like George Masvidal, the pressure, it makes him fold. Even guys, when he fought Darren Till, that's a tough fight for him because Alexander is constantly in your face. He pushes you to the cage. He has incredible wall work. And when you when you can push a guy like uh, Olivier Albin Mercier um, to the cage and dominate him and win by like in such a great fashion, I don't think Donald Cerrone is going to be able to, to withstand that. Even if he takes him down and gets submissions, Alexander is strong. That's why they call him the Greek. Um, yeah, he knocked out Benil Darius. Very easily, too. I mean, he's got power in his hands, in both hands. So, But I want to move on to Donald Cerrone because I don't want to take him out of the fight, necessarily. Donald Cerrone has, I think, uh, I don't think he has the most head kick knockouts in UFC history, but he has the most finishes. And um, he's also vicious on the ground. His ground game is underrated, but people are seeing. I mean, look what he did to Mike Perry. He snapped his arm in such a vicious fashion. And you can never count Cerrone out of the fight. The Cerrone that we are hoping for is the Cerrone that's game and looking to sleep somebody and get that bonus check. That's the Cerrone I'm looking for in this fight. The one who's going to go for those vicious head kicks. The one who's going to go for elbows and knees. I want to see what I call Super Saiyan Cerrone when he fought Rick Story and destroyed him with like a five-strike five combo. That's the kind of Cerrone that we have to see at 155 again because if we don't see that against Alexander Hernandez, he's going to get destroyed. It's unfortunate to say, but it's that pressure style that's going to give Cerrone trouble. So I want to see him go in there and land a lot of strikes at a very high rate and just take this guy out. So it's a toss-up for me, um, but it's going to be a good fight either way. So. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully Cerrone can keep him at a distance with those leg kicks. You know, he throws yeah. those vicious leg kicks. So as long as he makes weight, he could eke it out, but I'm going to pick Hernandez. I just think he's young. He's hungry. What are you going with? Are you going to go with Hernandez or Cerrone? If I had to pick, there's a lot of stuff that you have to factor in, like experience. But then you also have to factor in the mindset, the mental aspect of the game. Sometimes Cerrone goes in there and he's not all in there. And you can tell. He's not throwing as many strikes. He's moving back a lot. He's upright. And you can tell that this is a defensive Donald Cerrone. Um, but if he's game and Alexander's game, I'm going to have to say that experience will play itself out. And I think Cerrone might end up beating him by decision. I don't think Cerrone finishes him. I think Alexander's really tough. But I think if I had to choose, Cerrone might win by split or unanimous decision. So you got Cerrone. Hey, like I said, it's hard to bet against him, but I, I like the drive in the kid. I want him to I want him to keep moving up because that's that's the way these, you know, these stars are made. It's built off these guys and and there was something that Alex said. He called Cerrone a stepping stone. Yeah. And Cerrone took offense to it, which kind of scares me. But I'm going to go with the kid. Oof. Then we move on to the main card. A weird one. We're going to go from the bottom to the top. And then you'll immediately see at the top why it's weird. But at the <laughs> bottom, we start at light heavyweight. Glover Teixeira versus Carl Roberson. Yes. Teixeira's back. You know, he's had a rough couple years, but 
Then we got Carl Roberson. You know, he's young in the game. What do you think? How do you see this fight going? So, man, it was hard to watch Glover Teixeira being dispatched by Alexander Gustafson. Um, he always comes back and does well against guys who are not always in the top 15. He's an, he's an elite fighter. I'm not going to say he's top 10 anymore, though. He's getting up there in age still. And, um, it, you know, I, I'm afraid for him. Carl Roberson is the smaller guy in this case. But, oh my God, can this guy hit hard. And he is a legit striker. Um, most people may not know, but Carl Roberson was actually in glory kickboxing. Um, and he was not a contender, but he was a prospect there. And you saw in his last fight, um, he went in there and he fought and he showed that he had legit striking. Um, guys were having trouble. The last guy he faced had a lot of trouble with him. And it was mainly because he understands movement. He's got good head movement. And he has very powerful punches and kicks. Um, but Glover Teixeira is still Glover Teixeira. Former title challenger. You know, he went five rounds with John Jones. Um, he still has punching power, and his ground game is still very elite. He's an elite black belt, and um, if Carl Roberson can't keep it on the feet, I don't see how he wins this fight um, on the ground. I don't think he can. Glover Teixeira, like I said, legit black belt, good wrestling, and um, I think if this fight goes to the ground, I don't see him being able to, to beat Glover. But there's something to be said about, you know, the way he destroyed Jack Marshman in his last fight, Carl Roberson. Um, he went in there and he, he whooped Jack Marshman. Jack Marshman didn't get finished, but we're talking about Jack Marshman. He doesn't get finished. So we're, we're looking for a fight where it's, it's a toss-up again because if it stays on the feet, who knows? Roberson's the younger, faster guy. Yes, and, and the, the other advantage that he has, other than the size discrepancy... But he's coming in fresher because he doesn't have to cut weight. He's just stepping in there to fight. It's a 20-pound difference from 185 to 205. So there isn't necessarily going to be a weight cut at all. So I'm looking forward to this fight. If Carl can pull out a win in this division, there's, there's going to be a big shakeup for him at 185 or even at 205. But I think he'll stay at 185. But it's going to open a lot of doors for him to fight tougher opponents. Because if you can get through a guy like Glover Teixeira, I don't see why you shouldn't get top fights. Yeah, I'm going to go with Carl Roberson as well. He's yeah. a product of uh, Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Yes. He's from New Jersey, so I respect him because he's an East Coast boy. Yeah. I'm going to go with Roberson. I'm guessing you're going with him too? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with him. I don't think Glover will take him down. Yeah, so we have the next fight... Really interesting fight. Somebody who also is... It wasn't a... I think Paige Van Zandt, she was a product of one of those series, too. I don't know if it was... Was it... It wasn't Contender Series. I think it was looking for a fight, right? I believe so. Um, I know she was never on the Ultimate Fighter. Rachel, I know they picked Rachel Olstevich was. Though. Yeah, she, she was had, part of the Ultimate Fighter. She was just there. Rachel Olstevich coming off of a lot of... Uh, Controversy, not not with her, you know. She just had a domestic dispute, yeah. so she's kind of fighting with purpose. I just don't think she's that good. Like, I really want to say, you know, I'm all for that, like, feel good story. Yeah, 
But uh, I think Paige Van Zandt is going to pose a lot of problems for her and finally prove that she belongs in the UFC. Yeah, um, there's a lot to be said about this fight um, as far as you know where Rachel's head's going to be. Um, it's it's it, it will be an interesting fight because she's got to go in there with the right mindset. Whether she's all in or not, Paige Van Zandt's not an easy pick. Um, for an easy fight. Paige Van Zandt is good. She's well-rounded. She trains at Team Alpha Male with some killers down there. Um, I don't know if she switched camps, but she's still good. And um, I think that her record just shows that she was game for most fights that she lost. She fought Michelle Waterson. She fought Rose Nami Yunus. Um, she fought Felice Herrick. These are tough fighters in that division. And, you know, now she's at flyweight. And you can only say that if she's still game, this could be a good fight for her, a good tune-up fight at 125, and maybe she'll actually flourish in this division. I think that she was still young in the game at 115 fighting, you know, elite fighters. You know, she got pushed a little too far. It was kind of like the situation with Sage Northcutt. They were fighting people that probably didn't have any business being in there with, and they didn't have the right mindset. And you have so much publicity going on in your life and you're trying to be a fighter and you're fighting people who are not getting that publicity who are probably pissed off because you're you know the cameras are on you and not them but this this fight's going to be different because like you said i don't necessarily think rachel olstevich should get this fight but i understand why she got this fight um because Paige van zandt has been losing the only real good victory she had was a knockout over Beck Rawlings. Yeah, she's 3-1 and one in her last four. Yeah, but the opposition, you know, they haven't been that great. So, I want to say, if you're asking for a prediction, I'm going to say that Paige Van Zandt finishes Rachel Olstevich inside two rounds. I don't think she has the striking to stand up. Rachel Olstevich has, has a good ground game, but I don't think she's going to be able to take Paige Van Zandt down. So I see this fight um, ending probably second round TKO in favor of Paige Van Zandt. Yeah, I'm going to go with Paige as well. I just think that those two losses, she she has to, something has to give. Moving on to the flyweight division. This is a flyweight, like, you know when there's title fights, they build the card around the title. So we're moving on to the flyweight division now. Joseph Benavidez. Versus Dustin Ortiz. Joseph Benavidez is the backup for the main event, just in case. That's why he's here. Yeah. But what do you think? I've never heard of Dustin Ortiz. But I've seen Joseph Benavidez fight Mighty Mouse twice. Enjoyed both fights. What do you think? So, I'll give you a little backstory on Dustin Ortiz. Because he's one of my favorite up-and-coming guys. He's been in the game a while, but now he's starting to pick it up. Um, so he trains at one of the, my most highly favorited gyms called CSA in California. It's one of the biggest, I think it's the biggest gym in North America. Um, and he's a product of that, um, that gym. He's training with guys like Gaston Bolanos. Um, and he's going in there, coming off of a three-fight winning streak. Two of those last three fights he finished by KO, one by punch. And his last most recent fight against Mateus Nicolau, he knocked him out with a head kick and punches. So he's coming out, and he's showing that he's the real deal now in the flyweight division. Um, the only unfortunate thing is I have no idea where this um, 
weight class is going. Now there's talks of it being um, disbanded forever. But then again, you never know. Um, I still think that Dustin Ortiz is a fun fighter to watch. And now that he's making some noise in that division, let's see where it goes. But he's got a tough matchup against Joseph Benavidez. I mean, let's be real. Um, I would have to say if it wasn't for Demetrius Johnson and, and Henry Cejudo. And look, Benavidez beat Cejudo in their last fight. And um, that says a lot about how good he is. But um, if these guys weren't there, I would like to say that Benavidez would be the longtime champ. He's that good. Um, he lost a split decision to Sergio Pettis in his last fight, but that was a toss-up. But he's coming off of a victory um, in the Ultimate Fighter finale, Heavy Hitters. Um, he was on that card. He won performance of the night, and he won by TKO. So he's coming off in a confident state. He's fighting a guy, Dustin Ortiz, who hasn't really proved himself necessarily in the flyweight division. Um, I think that this fight's going to go all three rounds. Um, I think that Joseph Benavidez will eke out a decision as far as a prediction. Um, he's good. Um, he's got good striking, great wrestling. I don't think it's Dustin Ortiz's time yet. I think Benavidez is still dominant. And, you know, both guys are young. Benavidez is only 34. Ortiz is only 30. So, you know, these guys are still hungry and they're looking for a title shot. Yeah, it's hard to bet against the guy who won a split decision or lost a split decision with uh, Pettis. With Johnson. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then. You know, he beat Henry Cejudo. He's the last person to beat him. So I got to go with him. Like I said, he's the one that I've seen. He's he's a fun fighter. And, I, you know, he's the one of the flyweights that I know that if they get rid of the division, they're just going to say, yo, you mind gaining another 10 pounds? Just move up. We don't want to let you go. Yeah, and they definitely should because he's still a draw. Um, he's still a great fighter. So this fight's going to be good for him. Yeah, so let's move on to the lightweight division. Gregor Gillespie versus Yancey Medeiros. Yes. I've heard of Gregor Gillespie, but I don't know too much about him. Yancey Medeiros, he's a fun fighter. I've seen him before. What can I expect from this fight? Is there something that you, you see that I don't in those two names? Um, it's hard to bet against Gregor Gillespie right now. He is, um, He's probably... Other than the exception of Chris Weidman and Ally Aquinta, um, he's probably one of the best prospects coming out of uh, New York. This dude is legitimately one of the most well-rounded guys I've seen in a long time. Um, record is he's undefeated, 12-0. He's only went the distance twice, but he's got five knockouts and five submissions to his credit so far. And in the UFC, he's finished with the exception of one four of his last five opponents. He's gotten performance and fight of the night twice. Um, fight of the night once. And this dude is looking legit. I think that he will be a title contender very soon in 2019. Yancey um, Medeiros is coming off of a loss against Donald Cerrone. That fight I thought would be a barn burner, but it wasn't. Donald Cerrone ended up knocking him out. Um, I don't say that he's not game in this fight. But I think as far as, like I said, just how well-rounded Gregor Gillespie is because he's got punching power, he's got good kicks, but his grappling is really where it's at. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to stay in there with um, Gregor Gillespie longer than two rounds. So I'm going to give it to Gillespie. 
Yeah, I'm gonna give it to Yancey. I just feel like that that last loss might have left a bad taste in his mouth. He hasn't been as active as I wanted to. I mean, look, a fight in last year at the beginning of the year, two fights in 2017. Like he's he's been kind of infrequent. I mean, his his fight in 2017 was in December, and then he fought in February in 18, and then took the rest of the year off. I'm not sure if he got hurt, but. Let's hope that he comes and he's game, you know, hand this young kid his first loss. Yeah, I mean, I like Yancey Medeiros as a fighter. He's got solid striking. Um, He's one of those Polynesian dudes who are just legit when it comes to striking. He's got a good chin, other than, you know, his last loss. But he was on a three-fight winning streak before he fought Donald Cerrone. So, I mean, he's still game. I just don't think he's going to be able to, to beat Gregor Gillespie if the fight goes to the ground or just anywhere. The scrambles are going to be a big part of this fight. And Yancey just doesn't have that kind of ground game. And Gregor Gillespie does. Um, a lot of people don't know, but Gregor Gillespie is an NCAA Division wrestling veteran. Um, and, and he's the real deal. You know, um, I just don't know, man. I, I, don't, I don't think Yancey's got it this fight. I think Gregor's going to end up Staking his claim at, at a top five opponent after this. So, yeah. So, this is where the card gets weird. Uh, it really doesn't make any sense to me. Imagine the UFC coming into next year, right? And let's just think of it. Tom Brady says he wants to fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Let's let's go even cornier. Let's say AJ Feely <laughs> wants to fight in the UFC, and Dana White looks at him and say, "Okay, give you a couple fights in the Indies or whatever you call it, the yeah. you know the local scene, the regional scene, as they say in MMA, and you're gonna co-main event on the first ESPN card." Oh, Greg Hardy. First of all, this guy has a known history of domestic violence. <laughs> I don't want to say too much about that because I don't know the story. But you put him on the same card with Rachel Ostovich, who just had a domestic dispute. Now, by all accounts, she says it's fine. You know, she doesn't care. She's just trying to get paid. But Ariel Hawani said it best. It was tone deaf. And now you got him coming against this bum who last fight he fought in the he last fought in the UFC almost two years ago at UFC 218. He got knocked out by Justin Willis, who we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why? Why is this the co-main event? I have no idea. They, there's really you got Donald Cerrone on the prelim card, and this the is the co-main event. And Joseph Benavides versus Dustin Ortiz in the main card. This is insane. I don't get it. I don't know if this was like a fill-in fight, but God, this is a terrible fight for the co-main. I don't want to watch this fight. I don't care about this fight. Yeah, I'm just gonna make my prediction, and we'll move on to the main event. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm hoping that Alan Crowder knocks him out. <laughs> God, me too. In the first round. Yeah, I don't like Greg Hardy as a fighter. Um, he's just got big hands. He just hits guys hard. N- nobody cares. No. Um, he's not going to be a top contender in the heavyweight division. That's all you get from me, Greg Hardy. Moving on to the main event for the flyweight title, the champion, 
Henry Cejudo versus the Bantamweight champion. Moving down, the snake in the grass, TJ (laughs) Killashaw Dillashaw. Oh, yes. Now, I don't know. Earlier, you said that you see Henry Cejudo putting a whooping on him, that he's going to be depleted, that Dillashaw isn't going to be able to do it. Are you going to say that for your prediction right now? Yes. Yes, I am. I only see this fight going two ways. I see Henry Cejudo eking out a decision. And then if that doesn't happen, if TJ does come in game and he's not depleted, I see him knocking the daylights out of Henry Cejudo. I'm sorry. I'm a fan, you know this, of Henry Cejudo. But there is nobody in the flyweight division or in the bantamweight division who is going to be able to stand with TJ Killashaw Dillashaw. This man is one of the most elite and well-rounded fighters I've ever seen. Uh, He's a huge product of of Bang Muay Thai. And this guy is... Come on, man. He's coming off two vicious wins against Cody Garbrandt. I don't see this fight going any other way other than that. This is not going to be a fight of the night type of fight. Somebody's going to get dominated. I think that Henry Cejudo's wrestling is good. And um, if TJ comes in super leaned out and just... Looking like a ghost, I don't. I just. I don't see how he's gonna be able to be able to go the distance with somebody like Henry Cejudo, especially especially when he's you know in tip top shape. Um, but then again, gosh, T.J. Dillashaw, come on, man. I don't. I don't know about this fight because this this is this is literally a fight that's dependent on the weight cut. That's just all I can say about it. So, you know, there's, there's not much else to say about the fight, you know, from my from my perspective, just because I like both fighters. But then again, I don't know. Who's to say that this fight's going to be good? Well, give me your prediction. What do you think? Um, if I have to pick one way this is going to go, I'm going to have faith in TJ Dillasaw that he comes in ready to go at 125. And I think he knocks Henry Cejudo out in one round. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. I'm going to give it to Dillashaw. I just think he's going to outwork the guy. I think that these fighters, like, who who talk about their Olympic accomplishments, I think they put too much into that. Yeah. Like, bro, that was years ago. (laughs) I don't care if you went to the Olympics. It doesn't carry the same weight as it did before. Like, it's just not a thing to me, like... TJ knows how to wrestle, so I think that he can stuff a takedown. I hope Henry Cejudo keeps his word. He said on Ariel Hawani's podcast that if TJ takes him down, he's just going to tap. So I doubt that he'll do that. He's not that stupid, but I hope he does because I'm almost positive that TJ will take him down at least once. Yeah, he's way stronger than him, and he's way bigger than him. I mean... Whether you like it or not, whether you're an Olympic wrestler or not, there's a size advantage. There's a size discrepancy there. And TJ Dillashaw is no slouch on the ground. I mean, look at what he did to John Lineker. He even took, you know, Rafael Sunsau down. And Rafael Sunsau is still one of the best in the bantamweight division. Come on, man. TJ Dillashaw's he's legit well-rounded. He's got good wrestling. Um, he, he, he understood how to implement his wrestling in with that bang muay thai. And it looks beautiful when he can take guys down with that sweeping double that he does. 
I, I know that he's going to take Henry down. I don't think he'll tap because there's a lot at stake. But um, I just don't know, man. It's a, it's a tough fight for Henry. Um, I, don't, I don't really say it's a tough fight for TJ unless he's just depleted. I mean, you've seen it. There's some guys who just cut too much weight, and some of them end up in the hospital. Some of them end up rehydrating back, and they just, they're not fighting the same. They're not in the right mindset. You know, you're hungry. You're thirsty in there, and it's tough. You know, even when I cut weight, when I was wrestling in high school, it's not easy. You know, it, it's, it's a tough part of the sport that I think that uh, even Joe Rogan said that I think that that's just something that is stupid. I think you're destroying fighters' careers by doing that. But, yeah, that's my prediction. DJ Dillashaw by knockout in the first round. So there goes our predictions for UFC Fight Night 143. Their first card with ESPN. So yes, let's let's hope for some good fights. Yes, it, so it sounds like it's gonna be a lot of fun. Definitely, there's gonna be a lot of great fights. But uh, the one really to watch for, uh, I gotta say, it's gonna be. It's there's a lot of good fights, man, but. The, the one fight that I'm looking most forward to is, I'm going to have to say, um, Gregor versus Yancey. We are going to see the new breed of MMA coming out of Gregor, and this fight's going to show that. Other than that, the one fight I'm really excited for is Alexander the Great versus Cowboy. Yeah, that's my pick. That'll probably be fight of the night, because I think that the main event's just going to go too fast. Oh, that'll definitely be fight of the night. <laughs> I can agree with you on that, yeah. Yeah, so moving on... When we started this podcast, we agreed that we wanted to go with a segment-based show. Yeah. So we came up with some fun ideas, yep. and we came up with this one segment that I like to call Fantasy Warfare. So with this, I wanted us to pick a weight class and two fighters who haven't fought yet, and then we'll talk about how that fight will go. So, you went with the middleweights, and not to my surprise, you <laughs> went with Israel Adesanya. Yes. So, the one person that nobody ever talks about when they talk about Israel Adesanya versus was Jacare. So, I went with Jacare Souza. Break down Israel real quick for me. Okay. I mean, I, I got Jacare's stuff up. Jacare, 6'1", 72-inch reach. He's 26, 6-6 six six in mixed martial arts. He's a BJJ black belt. He's a judo black belt. I mean, he's a problem. He's one of those, like, grizzled young vets. He, he went through strike force. He's, he's been everywhere. He's fought everyone. Never, I mean, he, he was a strike force champion, but never a champion in the UFC. <sighs> let's go. Let's, let's do this. I'm excited for this. Israel Adesanya. We'll get to him a lot. Let, let's start with Jacare. I want, I want to start with Jacare because I like Jacare. Um, okay, so I went through Jacare's stats yeah. through all his fights. From what I could see from people that I could actually look up, he's 2-2 two and two against known kickboxers. Yep. He's 1-1 one and one against Musasi. He lost to Rockhold, and then he beat Okami. Yep. 
Decisively. Decisively. I mean, he cleaned his clock. Yes, he did. Musasi in the rematch, he, when he beat him, he looked really good. In that loss, he got he just got caught. You know, he went to land the ground and pound shot and got up kicked. <laughs> yeah. I, what can you do, you know? Um, when it comes to Jacare, God, this is a real, like you said, a real grizzled vet. This dude is legit everywhere. Um, I'm not even going to say that his striking is underrated because... God, he freaking destroyed Weidman with one punch. And mind you, that punch was to the forehead, the crown. If you get knocked out getting hit here, that shows how powerful this guy is. That's how scary he is. Being good everywhere is just dangerous. This dude is legitimately, I think, the number one contender. I'm sorry. Yoel Romero is good. One of my favorites. Um, He lost to Yoel, but that fight was a weird fight. To be honest with you. Um, but this dude's... He's the real deal. His time's now. But so is Israel Adesanya's time. <laughs> this is his time too. I mean, when you're looking at stats, the dude is, is averaging 4.51 significant strikes per minute. That's landed. Okay? Only two absorbed. So that means he's not getting hit much during his fights. Um... And aside from the 55% striking accuracy, which shows that this dude is an elite kickboxer, even looking, 75-5 and five in his kickboxing career, fighting some of the best in glory and any, anywhere else that they had to offer. He only lost five times and was only knocked out once. This dude's chin has been tested, and it's approved by me. This dude's not getting knocked out by anybody unless he gets starched with just one good shot he doesn't see. And that's not happening. This dude is Naruto Uzumaki reincarnated into a UFC fighter. Um, but other than that, the big story in Adesanya's UFC career so far is his takedown defense. Not only does he not get hit, but he has an 85% takedown defense rate. And look, he's fought already four times in the UFC in one year. He hasn't been taken down once. He fought tough guys like Brad Tavares and Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson is pretty good as far as wrestling goes. And he couldn't even take him down. I don't know, man. When you know what Jacare did to Derek Brunson? He beat him twice. Jacare, listen. He's got this new like striking style where he just walks you down. And yep. he just zombies on you. We he saw does. with Chris Weidman. And he was losing those first couple rounds. You know, Chris Weidman, not taking nothing away from Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman looked amazing in that oh, fight. God, yeah. He just got caught. If that fight would have went the full distance, Weidman wins by unanimous decision. Decisively, his striking, specifically his boxing, was very crisp. Good head movement. Weidman was showing that he's improved a lot. He was rolling with Jacare's punches, and he was catching them. Jacare's face was busted. But Jesus, that one one punch knockout power that Jacare has is why he can win fights like this if he's game. He had a tough fight against Kelvin Gaslam in his previous fight, but come on, man, this dude is legit. And if you're talking about a matchup like this for Israel Adesanya, it's a tough fight for him. But if Jacare gets pieced up like he did against Weidman, but Adesanya standing in front of him, that fight's not lasting long. But if he can break the streak 
and take Adesanya down, it's over. And yeah, I can say that for a fact. I love Israel Adesanya, but Jacare's ground game, I would have to say, is the best in MMA. Aside from the judo black belt, his jiu-jitsu alone... Sixth-degree black belt. Sixth-degree black Brazilian belt. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Other than guys like Damian Maia, there's nobody who can do it like him. He's adapted to the MMA game with his jiu-jitsu. And when you can take a guy down um, just that easily... And, and just finish him anywhere. I mean, it says a lot about how good his jiu-jitsu is within the realm of MMA. We see a lot of guys who are very high-level jiu-jitsu black belts like Benil Dariush. But then you get knocked out. But Jacare has adapted to the game. And it shows in his striking. He's getting better and better every time he steps in there. Going over to Florida and training over there, that's been a big help to him. But man, I don't even know about a prediction for this fight. This is a fantasy fight because this is a scary fight for both fighters. Yeah, honestly. So my prediction is tough fight for Adesanya. Yeah. It's the first time he's going to look in the face of adversity. And yeah. I think Big that his, his striking would be just too creative. You know, because Weidman was just coming head on. Yeah. Boxing, classic, you know. Yeah. He's throwing punches, couple kicks, nothing too crazy. But when you're talking about a world-class kickboxer like Israel Adesanya, yeah. he's just going to be too crafty. You get hit with the wrong kick, you're going down. Yeah. And Jacare, you can walk up as much you want, but you know, I just see it going that way where like the craftiness is just too much for him. Yeah. Um, as much as I want to keep uh, an even keel kind of opinion about this fight, Jacare's got a good ground game, but it's like you said, you don't want to go against a guy like Israel, who the only reason he'll stand in front of your face is because he knows you can't hit him. Other than that, he has solid footwork. He's huge for the division. He's literally the same size as John Jones, you know, without the reach, but he's got an 80-inch reach. 80-inch reach. 6'4". 6'4", and he's strong. He doesn't look strong, but he's strong. He showed his strength against Derek Brunson. Um... Come on, man. This this fight, I don't know. It's tough because can Jacare take him down? Because he couldn't take um, Robert Whitaker down. And Robert Whitaker, he's got good takedown defense. So if you can't take him down, I don't know if you can take Israel down. And, you know, as much as I love Jacare, I see this fight ending up in a head kick starching. I think Jacare is going to sleep, put a pillow there before he smashes his head on the canvas. It's a tough fight because these two are the best of the best of what they do. And this is the best matchup you're going to get of the year. If that, this does end up happening, I would love to see this fight before Adesanya gets a title shot. I think even if he bids Silva, he shouldn't get a title shot. He's not ready. Um, but I think this fight, that would be an amazing matchup. Because you're looking at two specialists. Kickboxing, elite kickboxer, and then jiu-jitsu. One of the best to ever do it. In no gi, gi, and an MMA. So, this is a great matchup. I love this segment. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so... Adesanya wins by knockout. Yep. There goes the first edition of Fantasy Warfare. Yes. Now, for next week... i let you pick the first fighter and weight class. Yeah. I'm gonna pick the next one. We're gonna go to the lightweight division... You can pick your fighter later, but my fighter is Michael Chandler. Thank you. 
Oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> so we'll talk about that next week. But let's move on to listener questions. I'm not impressed by your performance. Damn, George, that's not nice, but... I do want to thank the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast for hosting this. Pash, I love you. Thank you so much for giving me this platform. I appreciate it. Now, listener questions. Yes. The questions today come from a good friend of mine that you'll probably hear from every week. This guy is a diehard. He's a wrestling podcaster. He's from the Matt Madness family itself. Donovan the Lowdown Lloyd. He has two questions this week. Sweet. So, the first question. Is DC fighting Brock more meaningful than fighting Jones at this point? Yes. Um, God, I don't want to see another fight with Jones. God, this is terrible for DC. It's just bad luck. You know, I said it last week. There's just guys who always have your number. I don't want to see DC fight Jones ever again. Let his legacy play out. He's still, I believe, number one pound for pound. I don't really care about John Jones being number one pound for pound. This dude did it. He did something not even Connor did. He defended both belts while having them simultaneously. Come on, man. You got to give him the spot for that. The fight with Brock is the biggest draw. Nobody wants to see him fight Jones again. So the reality is, if you're talking about millions upon millions that they're both going to make, this is the fight to make. And on top of that, despite Brock Lesnar's steroid issues and PED issues, it's still an interesting fight. This is like a David versus Goliath matchup. When you don't even look at, you know, wrestling pedigrees, it's still a tough fight because can Brock take him down, really? I mean, this guy's legit. But then again, Brock's huge. But then again, when you look at what happened to him when he faced Alistair Overeem, when he faced King Velasquez... Can he deal with Daniel Cormier striking at heavyweight? Because this dude has got a cannon for a right hand at heavyweight. Both hands. And you saw what he did to Stipe. Nobody's been able to do that to Stipe other than Stefan Struve. And Stefan Struve just caught Stipe. But damn, Cormier stylistically was just a tough matchup for Stipe. And I think it's the same thing as far as Brock. Brock Lesnar has no type of striking whatsoever. And if he cannot take Daniel Cormier down, which I don't think he will... I think Brock, we're going to watch Brock Lesnar get his ass whooped for one or two rounds max. Um, but I think this fight is more meaningful for Dan Cormier because he needs these big money fights. He's done it all in, the, in there so far. He's, he's fought everybody, including John Jones, and he, and he beat Stipe. Um, but other than this fight, it's got to be Stipe. Hopefully next, and then a Brock Lesnar fight. End your career off you know, the way Mayweather did, I guess, fighting Connor. End it off with a bang. Fighting somebody who's a huge draw. Why not? It's a it's a fun fight to watch. I wouldn't push this fight away. Because, you know, who wouldn't want to see Brock Lesnar get his ass kicked? <laughs> so, yeah, that, I mean, this fight's definitely more meaningful than uh, John Jones. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's cool to give him this big money fight. But for DC, I think legacy just means so much to him. And... We spoke about this before, and you just brought it up again, that Jones, I think it just has his number. Yeah. So, even though I think the Jones fight is more meaningful, the Brock fight does carry some weight with him. Yeah. So, his other question, what are our thoughts on, yet again, 
not getting Woodley versus Covington. For me, not a big deal. I don't really think Covington's as good as he thinks he is, and you can see it in his fight. Um, every fight that he's had so far. He's good, but he's not a finisher. Let's be real, not a finisher. Um, he's got great grappling, but he's not scary on the ground. I mean, come on. He's not going to be able to take down Tyron Woodley. There's no way. There's nobody at 170 who could take down Tyron Woodley. Nobody, not even GSP, will be able to take him down. And if GSP can't take him down, Colby Covington is going to get his ass whooped. I don't want to see that fight because it's not a challenge for Woodley. Look, even Woodley rubs me the wrong way sometimes with his cockiness. I think it's misplaced because, let's, let's face it, Damian Maya, Darren Till, who else have you fought? You haven't fought anybody dangerous since Stephen Wonderwood Thompson. And even that wasn't a great fight. But I really just don't want to hear anything about Kobe Cub anymore other than him getting knocked out cold. Um, I'm not worried about him. So I'm not worried about that fight at all. That And it sounds harsh, but Woodley's got bigger and better things to worry about. Like Kamaru Usman, Darren Till, maybe another fight with Wonderboy, and then 185. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, I, it's not... I'm not a big Woodley fan. Everybody knows this. I respect the guy. Yeah. But it's his character. I'm not a big fan of. Yeah. But there is something that he said when he was on Ariel Hawani this week, which I thought was perfect. Um, Ariel Hawani asked him the same question. Like, what do you think? He's like, well, I only want to fight him because I don't think he's that good. Like, just like that. And it's so true. He's just not. He's, he's not. not good. So... As much as I do want to see Covington get his face punched in, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense for Woodley to have to defend the title and just in and out in two rounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I want to see those big fights for him just like he wants to have those big fights. Like yeah, him. and rightfully so, man. He, he deserves those big fights. He's defended his belt more than enough times. Give him a fight at 185 or give him the guys who he wants to fight. Yeah, let GSP come back. Let them fight, and GSP could walk away again, and then Woodley could, could just continue yeah. on. Big fight, big money fight for both. That's the real fight everybody wants to see. If not, let Woodley move up and give Ben Askren his time to take everyone to Funky Town. <laughs> I mean, it, there's really no more stake um, for Woodley in 170. It's done. You know, he's fought everybody. Uh, and if you're talking about a fight with GSP, that's it. Kobe Cub, even when Woodley moves up, because let's face it, that's in the inevitable future for him. But Kobe Cub's not going to be a champ at 170. Rafael Dos Anjos did well at 170, but he's got no business being up there with the big boys. If you talk about fights with him and Darren Till, we all know how that's going to go. There's just a huge size difference. And Kobe Cub's not going to be able to fight guys like Darren Till and do well. He's going to get his ass whooped by everybody including guys like Kamar Usman and Leon Edwards and guys like that. He's not going to be able to do anything against them. So I, I, don't, I don't think um, Kobe Cubs relevant anymore at 170. And, and I'm glad he didn't get that title shot because nobody wants to watch that fight. I promise you that would have been one of the lowest pay-per-view numbers ever. And not just because of Cubs, but nobody wants to see Woodley fight a bum like that. So, But I do want to thank Donovan for great questions. Those are great questions. Thank you. With that being said, this has been your boy Elroy. I'm Elroy, he's Andre, and we'll catch you guys next time.